Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. Let me give you an opportunity to respond to that. <laughs> Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. All right. Um, the final announcement that uh, Pastor Denise mentioned that I have is one that's very much in line with the celebratory nature and our very purpose for being in this room uh, on this day. Uh, we're here because we take Jesus' invitation to us very seriously, and his invitation to one and all is that we would become his apprentices, that we would become his students and follow his life and be empowered by his spirit, transformed by him as we become his hands and feet in the world. And so Christianity is not summed up in gatherings or in moments like this. Uh, and that's not the be all end all. The final destination is a life that's transformed in a journey of following Jesus. And toward that end, we have an incredible weekend lined up for us. And we want to invite every single person to come and be a part of that weekend. That is on Saturday, May 6th. And the title of that weekend is Empowered Discipleship. And we're going to be exploring what it means to be someone who follows Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have an incredible guest speaker that's going to be with us on that day, John Elmer. He's a, a dynamic pastor and preacher. And not only are you going to receive incredible content from the Word of God from someone who served God for decades uh, faithfully, um, who has much to impart, but also you're going to receive powerful times of ministry and prayer. And we're going to be together uh, over meal uh, over a meal on a Saturday at a really beautiful venue. And so down the block, if you're not aware, there's a boutique hotel called the Paper Factory Hotel. And we were able to get a great deal on uh, a meeting space. And so uh, it's going to be a beautiful time. And we really want you to prioritize and being there. And so we hope that you have cleared your schedule. We've announced this a couple times. Um, but what we're still waiting is for many of you to not just hear the announcement and internally say, I'm going to be there, but to actually RSVP. And so if you would just go to the link that we're making available to you, you can do it even right now. Register. We would love to have you there, to know that you're going to be there so we could plan accordingly. And so I hope you uh, recognize how important we think this weekend is that we would take time on Resurrection Sunday to announce it, to ask you to prioritize it. Um, we, we believe this weekend is going to be a very significant weekend for our church, and so we hope that you will prioritize being there. With that, we're going to go to the scriptures this morning, and we're going to take a look at a passage that's found in the letter to the Romans. And we're going to look at chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. It says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this glorious day that we celebrate the moment that you changed history forever. When you defeated death, hell, and the grave, where you took the sting of sin away. And Lord, we celebrate not just a historic fact today, we celebrate an eternal reality that transforms us even till this day. We pray you'd speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I've been thinking about uh, my journey uh, as a follower of Jesus and uh, as a pastor, and uh, it's been a lot of memories just flooding me lately um, for various reasons. And so I began, to, I began to serve Jesus when I was 14 years old. I remember the very day that I professed faith in Jesus. It was September 26, 1994. And very early on, I had this sense of a call. I didn't know what that meant, but I just had this sense at that young age, the best way I could articulate it is, I think I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life teaching people how to follow Jesus. And as that began to crystallize down the years, found myself at a very young age um, being thrust into leadership and spiritual responsibilities at my local church. And there's nothing quite like when reality hits you, when you're idealistic, when you're young and you're full of optimism, and then the hard stuff of life hits you, especially as a pastor. I remember this one instance where I was meeting with someone and they were agonizing over their son because their son was battling just tremendous addiction and it was tearing their family apart. And I'll never forget this mother, she repeated his words. She was like, but he promises me that this time will be different. He says that he really means it this time and I see that he, it, like, he, he's being sincere. And yet we keep finding ourselves in this cycle. They would have to go in the middle of the night, search for him in the streets to find where he was at. And moments like that really, they change you. They change me in particular, realizing that in life, being sincere 
sometimes isn't enough. Being passionately sincere, even that isn't enough. That even when we're, we have sentimentality and sincerity, that if it, 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 sometimes it's not enough. That actually it could be harmful if it's lacking depth of reality. And why I say that is because as followers of Jesus, a weekend like this one, a week like we've just gone through, Holy Week, can be filled with all sorts of sincerity and passion and sentimentality. It could choke us up, and it should. So hear me, please. If you are feeling the emotions and and your heart is stirred, I'm not trying to discourage that. I think that's appropriate because given what we're celebrating and what what we're reflecting on, our hearts should be moved. Imagine if someone pushed you out of traffic and there was an oncoming car and as they pushed you out, you saw their life end. They saved you. Imagine not being choked up about that. Imagine not being able to retell that story. I found myself yesterday talking with a family member who doesn't follow Jesus. I look forward to seeing them every single holiday because the conversations are amazing. Um, And he asked me so many questions, and I asked him a bunch of questions, and we're actually hanging out later this month. I love the conversations. He's reading some books I recommend. I'm watching some movies that he thinks I should watch. And I remember, even as I was talking to him, I was just telling him about Do For One. And he knows my daughter, Brielle, um, who has Down syndrome. And I was telling him how God used Do For One to prepare my heart for the, the experience of raising a kid with special needs. And I told him about Do For One's Christmas party, which if you have not been there, you need to go there. It's one of the most sacred, holiest times. And I didn't plan for it. It was a little embarrassing because we were like eating baked ziti at this time. And, and, and as I'm telling, I got emotional. And it's like, and I'm trying to keep it together. And, I'm, and at that point, I was like, I don't care. And so I was like, hey, man, just give me a second. Just retelling it stirred something in me. This weekend should stir something in us as we celebrate our Messiah being crucified and resurrecting. But if it's just stirring emotion, it's not enough to transform us. There's something more that has to be processed for us. Because what we're celebrating and what we're reflecting on and standing on is something incredibly unique. That our faith has a, has a unique experience with this. It's unique in the way that every faith has historic events, but none quite like Christianity in the ways that we are tethered to these events of this weekend. In other words, if you remove the crucifixion and if you remove the resurrection of Jesus, our faith implodes. It, 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 you can't just take it and say, this is good self-help. These, these are great ideas, Jesus. Man, how come more people don't practice this stuff? It, it won't work apart from the resurrection and the crucifixion. Why is that? Because on a weekend like today, what we're celebrating is this unique dynamic experience where history collides with eternity, where what historically happened has an eternal ramification. This is, what, this is how it's described in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. I want you to hear these words. Paul the Apostle's 
writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. I want you to focus on those words. Christ died for our sins. The first part, Christ died. That is a historic fact. If you're in this room, if you don't follow Jesus, we're so glad you're here. You really took a wonderful risk coming to being with us, and we really appreciate it that you're here and you're worshiping with us and you're watching us go into Scripture. Uh, and even though we may have different conclusions, one thing that we can clearly establish, and, and this is not religious, this is not fervor, this is not being like wishful, this is a historic, irrefutable fact that there was a man named Jesus that died. Secular historians confirm that. It's undeniable. As important as that is, what's even more important was the eternal reality, the eternal truth, and that's the second part. Christ died for our sins. If we're not careful, we can easily come to a weekend like this and just celebrate the historic nature of what happened. And now we celebrate it as Christians who affirm the historic nature of we celebrate that one day, that one day long ago our Messiah was crucified and he rose from the dead. But if we're only celebrating the historic fact and not entering into the eternal reality of it, that will not transform us. Tradition won't transform you. Coming to church regularly won't transform you. And so if you're here and you haven't been here for a while, and it always happens, every Easter, someone greets me and they feel guilty because they haven't been here for a while. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Don't give me eye contact. I want to spare you that awkwardness and let you know whether you're sporadically attending or attending faithfully, that alone doesn't transform a person. It's only until we peer into the reality of what eternally took place on this weekend, long ago, and that is that Christ died for our sins. And so what we're doing this day is that we're fixing our eyes to look upon the eternal reality of what took place beyond the historic facts. And what Romans 6 helps us to understand is that powerful, eternal reality that took place when Jesus died and rose again. The first thing that Romans 6 makes us aware of is that Jesus didn't die alone, nor did he rise alone. That may sound strange. At first you may say, yeah, I know he didn't die alone. There was thieves next to him. I'm not talking about his physical death. I'm talking about spiritually. Because look at what Romans 6 tells us. Verse 1 to 3, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The eternal reality of the crucifixion and the resurrection is that you and I died with Christ. 
and you and I rose with him. When he died, he alone died for our sins. We could not die for our sins. He died for our sins. But as he was dying for our sins, eternally speaking, he carried us with him so that we could die to sin. He died for our sins, but as he carried us in him on the cross, he empowered us to die to sin. And so eternally speaking, as humanity was carried with him on the cross and was buried with him, the result, Romans 6 tells us, is that the dominion of sin was loosened, that we now who follow him, who have professed faith in him, are freed from the rule of sin. I have a friend of mine who we swap stories because we both have like really aggressive little kids. And so my aggressive son is Michael, really aggressive, and he has aggressive kids. And so we share stories almost like to laugh, but kind of somewhat to commiserate, like we're going to make it through, right? Um, and he told me a recent success that he had with his son, and I absolutely loved it. They were at Target, a wonderful place for kids. The new Toys R Us. Kids say, what do you want to do? I want to go to Target. And they were at Target, and his son had a meltdown. How many parents have ever had their kids have a meltdown in public? How many of you have ever watched parents with their kids having a meltdown, and you're saying, glad I don't have kids? Anyway, um, <laughs> it's a brutal thing to watch. You're like, ah, you got to walk away. It's like a crime scene. This was happening to my friend, and he's, he's losing patience. He's trying to regain control. He's trying to just get this thing to move. And he grabbed his son and held him in a hug. Not like, a, like an overbearing hug, but just like a hug to just try to still him. And this is what he told him. He said, I want to remind you that you can trust me in these moments. And he's still flailing. Let me go. Remember last time this happened that I guided you through it. You can trust me. You're feeling fear. You're anxious. You're stressed. You can trust me when I tell you what to do next. Remember that last time? And all of a sudden, it's starting to penetrate. He's just re remembering, oh, yeah, I, I, I do kind of have a history of this. And so kid, <laughs> kid's coming to himself. And he remembers the last time I obeyed because I trusted things were fine. When he told me that story, I very much felt like, man, that's kind of like what Jesus has now made possible for us. That even though our tendency, our proclivity is to freak out, to do our own thing, to continue the patterns that we've been in, now through the resurrection, he embraces us and tells us, hey, I freed you to trust me to obey me, you can walk differently. Romans 6 is telling us that Jesus has freed us to trust God's love. But look at what else it says. It says this in really powerful, beautiful language. In verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. I want to focus our attention on those words. Our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. What Jesus has accomplished for us at the cross and in the resurrection, he has facilitated freedom for us from something that scripture calls our old self. Our old self. This old self, we're told, was bound to sin. Had no choice in the matter. Sin was its natural tendency. It's, it's what our, our old self naturally did sin, effortlessly. Didn't have to be taught it. Didn't have to be encouraged. It was just what it did. It was the air that it breathed. What, what, the, what the scriptures tell us is that that's all of us, apart from God's intervention, apart from what Jesus has accomplished for us, we will live lives that are characterized by the description of the old self. We will seek our independence we will try to assume the place of God. We will determine right and wrong apart from him. We will seek to be our own kings, our own masters. And in that, the result is that we become slaves to sin. And I know what some of us might be wrestling with, that word sin. It's like, Chris, you're still using that in 2023? Isn't there a better word or more politically... When the scriptures give me a different word to use, I'll use it. But the, the scriptures don't give us a different word. It tells us about this thing called sin that our old self is enslaved to. And before we get away and thinking, I'm not a bad person, I'm a good person, sin has nothing to do with being a bad person or a good person. In this room, there are amazing people that I aspire to be like. And you're still a sinner, according to the scriptures. And in this room, there are people who are struggling and, and, and really are trying to grow through things. And whether you're amazing and exemplary or whether you're struggling through something, we both have this common experience of our old self being a self that's dominated and ruled by sin. What does that mean? It means many things, but let me kind of hone in on two specific things that I think could help us wrap our mind around something. Before our faith in Christ, Scripture tells us we're all slaves to sin. And so if you talk to someone who, who doesn't follow Jesus and told them, you're a slave to sin, what kind of reaction you think you would get? Not a great one. I'm like, what do you mean I'm a slave to sin? Get out of my face. Uh, what does that mean? It's, it's a kind of difficult concept to kind of wrap our minds around. It's because the way we experience that slavery looks different for all of us. I want to give you two ways that we experience slavery to sin. One way that we experience slavery to sin is by living an amoral life. In other words, you're a slave to sin when you say there is no sin. And you just live however you want. And you say, but how is that a slave to sin? I'm, I'm living as if sin doesn't exist. Here's the kicker. Try not to sin. Have you ever tried intentionally not to sin? 
How does that go? Doesn't go well. We, maybe we get like a few days in, a few hours in. Maybe, man, like, man, I feel like I've got a solid month in. This is amazing. I haven't sinned in this area. Try doing that for five years, for 10 years. Try doing that on the seven train. Try doing that on the Van Wick. Try doing that in traffic. Try doing that, doing that when kids are melting down. Try doing that when suffering comes to your, your way. Try doing it when the pressures of life come. But more importantly, try to not do the thing that Scripture says is sin, and you will find very quickly that you don't have as much freedom as you think. That sin chooses for you at times. It knocks on the door, and it kicks the door down. And you find yourself with less willpower and freedom than you think. And so the amoral person that says, there is no sin, I can live however I want. At the end of the day, they're powerless to actually resist the sin that they say doesn't exist. Try not to hate someone who's hurt you. Or hurt someone you love. Try not to do that. Try not to let a racist attitude develop in you in our world that constantly bombards us with divisive thoughts toward others. Try not to be consumeristic in this world that says, that old thing, don't you need something new? It's time to buy another one. Try not to feel empty when the world is constantly comparing ourselves to each other and telling us you're not enough, you don't have it all together, try harder, an amoral life that says there is no sin has no power over sin. Sin is still a reality. And you find that very quickly when you try to resist it on your own. The old self that Jesus frees us from, part of it is freeing us from us living our own way, saying we call our own shots, we do our own thing, telling ourselves we have freedom, but we really don't. It's slavery masquerading as independence. But another way that we experience slavery to sin, and this I especially want every one of us in this room, because the majority of us are followers of Jesus here, another way that we experience slavery to sin is by committing ourselves to a path of self-righteousness. In other words, we keep trying to be religious in order to earn our seat at God's table, in order to merit or to deserve, to feel like we're owed something from God, that we're entitled to his blessings because we've obeyed, we've tried, we've been good. If we're honest, most of us as followers of Jesus wrestle with this to some degree or another. This temptation to try to earn our seat at God's table. A few days ago, I was talking with my 14-year-old daughter. She just turned 14 last week, which is crazy. Um, I remember when she was born. It goes so fast. And we were talking, and if you don't have a teenage kid in your life um, or don't know folks that have teenage kids, they like to talk a lot um, at night. When the day is done, you know, like, let's go to bed. And also, we've heard this, you know, I, I don't, I, 
I don't need to hear again and again that, you know, this person didn't snap and chat and uh, did you see the talk? I don't care about this stuff, especially at night. I'm tired. And there was this night where she was talking and everything in me wanted to say, just go to sleep. Don't you see I'm, my eyes are crossing? And I truly sensed like the Holy Spirit said, no, let her stay up. And so I kind of just paused. And then she began to say, you know, Dad, I was thinking about Luke chapter 15. I said, oh. <laughs> she said, there's two brothers in that story. And the one brother, kind of the amoral life. He goes and does whatever he wants, shames his family, and lives a reckless life. But there's another brother, the older brother. And that brother stayed at home with his father and essentially did everything the father ever could have imagined or expected. He was a good rule follower. And she said at the end of it, he needed to repent just as much, if not more. She said, I realize me growing up in our home, I'm probably more like the older brother. I think I'm good. I don't think I'm that bad. But it seems that we have to repent from our attempts to try to earn our place at God's table just as much. Our old self can be bound to sin just as much, either by an amoral life or a self-righteous life. Slavery to sin can show up either way. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus sets us free from this slavery through his death, burial, and resurrection. That when he died, we died with him. When he rose, we rose with him. And what that means for us is freedom from the old self. But look at what else Romans says. And we'll end with this. When we go down to verse 11 says something quite amazing. In light of all that Paul has said, we've died with Christ, we rose with him, our old self has now been crucified, we can be free from sin. Verse 11, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, do not present your members as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Going back to verse 11, Paul says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. That word consider is an interesting word. When you go into the original language, it actually has the connotation of accounting. How many accountants in the room? There might be some. All right, raise your hand. Remember them next tax season. Um, <laughs> I respect accountants, especially during this time of year. I, that is not an enviable job. Um, that's a tough job. Because what, what, what do they do? They spend their time trying to reconcile your life in such a way that it cleanly shows up on a spreadsheet and that you can stay out of jail, right? 
They're reconciling the books. And what I find interesting is that Paul is saying, in light of everything that Jesus has done, you've died with him, you rose from the dead. Because of what he's done, now we're invited to do this very thing, to account ourselves as people who have died to sin and alive to Christ. That's an amazing image and a thought that describes the Christian life very accurately because every waking moment of us following Jesus can be summed up in that process of reconciling the books. In other words, following Jesus becomes this journey of reconciling our earthly experience with our heavenly identity. That according to God, you have died to sin. Our old man has been crucified, and we have been raised to life, and we have new life. That's what God says about us. That's how he says we are to live. And our daily experience is one of reconciling ourselves to that eternal reality. That when life tries to tell you, you're not dead to sin, you're not alive to righteousness, you go back to the books and you say, I need to reconcile myself with the eternal declared reality that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection have accomplished for me. That's what much of the Christian life is in our journey together as a people, is us lovingly trying to remind each other who God says we are because of what he's done through his son and us reconciling our experience with God's declared reality over us. What does this look like? Whenever you forget who God says you are, that's a moment for you to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Whatever that moment is, it could be an email from your boss, it could be a stressful dynamic at home, it could be a tension with a relative or a friend, it could be a struggle through addiction, whatever that thing is that is trying to pull you back and tell you, no, you're your old self, you're still bound to sin, you can then at that moment reconcile yourself to God's declared reality for you and I, that because of what Jesus has done, we can live free from sin, from the shame of it, from the penalty of it. We can live alive to God unto righteousness. What that makes possible is that you and I now have the capacity to choose to obey God and the resources to do it. What Jesus has done it makes forgiveness so much richer, but it also makes sin so much more sinful because now we come to realize that because of what he's done, I can live free from this. I can live empowered from it. And so to become comfortable with it, to deny it, to continue to live in it is not me reconciling with what he's done. So it means us refusing to live in bitterness and unforgiveness. It means us refusing to just continue to wallow in sinful patterns, whatever they may be. Because we say, I'm reconciling my life with the eternally declared reality that the resurrection has made possible. And it's one of the reasons... This experience of reconciling our lives to what God has said 
is one of the reasons why I personally continue to not give up on the local church. For all the reasons where Christians can get it wrong and communities like ours can be flawed and broken, one thing is undeniable. If I want to be reminded of who God says we are, that won't happen outside of a community like this. We get to remind each other who God says we are, what he's done, especially when we forget, especially when we stray. A friend of mine who's an educator in Brooklyn told me the story of this African tribe that whenever members of the tribe commit a gross like act of crime that's like egregious, a murder or theft or something that really disrupts the community, <clears throat> before they deliver consequences, the tribe does something that's really powerful. They'll gather around this person and they'll remind them of who they are. They'll remind them of their family, of their lineage, of their best motives, of who they really are, regardless of what they've just done. Can I tell you, that's a powerful idea and image of what we could be to each other in light of the resurrection of Jesus, that we can gather around each other and say, you're not your addiction, you're not your struggle, you're not what's been done to you or what's been said about you, you're not the sin that you used to be enslaved to, you are dead to sin and alive to God and to righteousness because of what Jesus has done. In this resurrection season, Imagine what it would look like if you and I refused to accept the identity that the world puts upon us, our history tries to enslave us to, and say, no, I'm dead to sin because of Jesus dying on my behalf. I'm alive to God in righteousness because of him rising and raising me with him. I'm not my struggles. I am who Jesus says I am. If we can become a people like that, how transformative could a moment like today increasingly become? Because at that moment, we're not just celebrating a historical fact. We're diving into the eternal reality of what this day invites us into. With that, could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? As we stand, if you feel comfortable doing so, can I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment, just to kind of still your heart and block out any distractions and just let's consider what Scripture is telling us. Let's consider that on this day, we appropriately celebrate not just that re Jesus rose from the dead, we celebrate that we rose with him. We celebrate this weekend, not just that Christ died for our sins, but that when he died for our sins, he empowered us to die to sin. That we can be freed. Our old self has been crucified with Christ. And now you and I are told to consider ourselves, to account ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness because of what Jesus has done. 
If you feel comfortable, can I invite you to raise your hands in this time of prayer and worship and response? Because perhaps you're finding yourself in this moment. Perhaps you're realizing that maybe today you woke up prepared to celebrate this day, but you're realizing, I think I was just celebrating the history of this moment and missing out on the eternal reality of this moment. He didn't just die. I died with him. He didn't just rise. I rose with him. What would it look like for you and I to truly fix our eyes on that? God, in this moment, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. That means we're not bound to our sin. We're not enslaved to it any longer. We can obey you as you empower us to. We can say yes to the things you tell us to say yes to and no to the things you tell us to say no to because when you rose, we rose with you. Jesus. Lord, we turn to you now with hungry hearts to experience the reality, the eternal reality of this moment. Jesus. As we worship him in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back. At any given moment, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer for the words that were shared earlier, anything that you might need prayer for, the message might have evoked for you. We welcome you to slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer over these next few moments. But whether you receive prayer or you're in your seat right now, let's all of us turn to the living God right now. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this would be an incredible time to just turn to God and talk to him. Bring your questions, bring your prayers. Ask him to make himself known to you. Let's all turn to God together at this time.